what we need to understand about sin is what you talked about in Psalm 51, which it's an offense against God. This is not just an offense against one another. It's an offense against God. Thanks for joining us here on Holding the Ground, produced by TPC Radio. Holding the Ground is a podcast that encourages the listener to take what you think you already know and ponder it some more in light of the Christian Bible and how God has established his world around you. I am the host, Pastor Hank Wilson. Joining me will be Diane, a lady whose brain works faster than a speeding bullet, whose thoughts are more powerful than a locomotive, and who is able to leap tall syllables in a single bound. And as always, the lovely Katie otherwise known as the beatbox champion of Cornell. The Bible always talks about, at least in the New Testament, when it refers back to Adam um, and Adam's sin, we always hear about Adam's um, headship Adam brought us into sin, Adam's fall. When we all know the story, we all know who ate that apple. And so, Pastor, why why is Adam getting a bad rap when his wife ate the apple? Well, you know, if you look at Genesis, you, you will see that it, it's clear in Scripture that Adam is the federal head. Adam was to instruct his wife to the rules. He was to share with her what was acceptable and what was not. In a sense, just like naming the animals, just like being responsible for the garden, he was the federal head. He was in charge. It was his to mess up. So although his wife, as the helper, facilitated the eating of the fruit, right? It really just kind of, hey, take check this out. It's really good. Um, and you can read the, the text to see that she falls prey to um, the beauty that's in the fruit and the taste and and you know it doesn't just taste good it looks good and why can't we do this and the serpent had a, a big role in that all three actually get punished right in genesis 3 15 mm-hmm. all three get the cursing but adam gets the most because he is the federal head it was his job to instruct his wife it was his job to say stay away from that serpent it was his job to protect and and with the authority that god had given him um to not rebel against God's rule, but he did it anyway. Um, And so he even tries to get out of it, right? He's like, Hey, you know, it's the woman you gave me, which, so it's not even, he's not even blaming the woman. He's not even blaming Eve. He's blaming God. He is like, you gave me this partner. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Why did, couldn't you have given me a better wife? I mean, you know, what guy doesn't say that? That's right. So I think, you know, in that sense, we do have to remember when it comes to sin that, and we know this from Romans 5, that Adam is responsible because he's the federal head. And then when we get to Romans, we see it's Christ, the second Adam, who undoes what Adam did in the, the fall. And so the sin that we have inherited as creatures is a direct reflection of that that fall in Genesis. And so to answer your question, uh, Adam is responsible because God made him responsible. 
Yes, and we see in that little narrative there, um, really, to use the phrase, what a tangled web um, sin and lies become, because uh, what is sin? Sin is rebellion to God. Um, sin is anytime we're not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with whenever we're not loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, that is sin. So we see one, we see the serpent lie to, lie to Eve, you will not surely die. Um, we see Eve lie back. She, she says a lie to um, the serpent saying, oh yeah, God even said we couldn't even touch that fruit, which is not what God said. Then, so then she eats the fruit. She encourages her husband to eat of the fruit. Um, then we see Adam turn to God and say, this is what you gave me. So we see ingratitude to God. That's not loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, you know, he also in that same moment turns his back on his wife saying, this woman you gave me. So he's not loving his wife in that moment. So we see just sort of this snowball effect of the sin just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, just in that little narrative there, it's, it's quite instructive to us. Um, the sort of effect that one sin leads to another sort of um, circumstance just in that little narrative. Yeah, Tim Keller has a great sermon um, on the the sin being slavery. I don't remember the exact title, but he talks about sin being and the power of sin, uh, the effects of sin that, that it has in the life of man. And I think you know what's helpful here is what also he, he reminds us of is what what is sin? Uh, and, and he would say sin is, is really putting in place what is rightfully God's, uh, in a sense. And I'm, those are my words, not his. But in back to the garden, Adam, w- what was Adam's sin wasn't that he disobeyed as much as he disobeyed to gain what was rightfully God's, whether that be the authority and or the knowledge, right? So he was trying to, in a sense, be God. And that's what sin is even today, is trying to put anything in God's place. Uh, what God rightfully does for us or who, who, he, who he says he is in Scripture. And then, and then not just, because it's more than disobedience to the law, right? Because we could all say, yeah, we're all not going to keep the law. And that is a part of it. But it's really in our own life, putting something in God's rightful place, Um, whether that is uh, something that, um, whether that's his lordship um, or uh, his his law, it it really is looking to something else rather than um, to God. First Corinthians 10 um, reminds us, 10 chapter, uh, Chapter 10, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So part of it is about the covenant of works and obedience and disobedience to God's law. And the Westminster Confession, you know, really talks about uh, sin being a transgression of the law of God. Um, and so that, that is true and that is a part of it, but I really like how Keller captured it in the sense that it's, it's giving power to something that is rightfully God's and sin is very powerful and sin, um, 
isn't just one one thing. It actually builds upon it. And he uses it in that sermon. Um, I think it's called Sin and Sl- Sin is Slavery. Uh, he uses that to show in addiction the power of addictions because we're depending on something. And he uses Numbers 10, verse 4. If only, right? The Israelites are like, if only we would have stayed back in Egypt. If only we had something else. I mean, isn't that right? God's not enough for us. So we say, if only something else. If only I had something to appease my lust. Or if only I had something, uh, rather than depending on God, who is um, the creator who has given us all things that we need. Who is providing? You know, not necessarily what we want. Um, I don't know. In my mind, I feel like people are almost predisposed to a particular type of sin, um, or I guess uh, that we tend to lean towards the same type of sin, like we all kind of have a, a preference towards something in particular, if you will. Um, but that he always provides what we need. It's just, it's not necessarily what we want. Yeah, and part of that's our impatient mm-hmm. in, impatience. The other part is just we're sinful creatures, right? <laughs> Yes, and um, Peter Jones, I think he's Dr. Peter Jones, but he, he could just be regular old Peter Jones. He's a theologian out there, and he's actually from Liverpool, England, which, you know, if you're a Beatles fan, that, that's that's kind of meaningful. With a bite, toast. But he, um, he has a very good book out there, and it's Oneism versus Two. I can't remember the exact title, but he talks about Oneism versus Twoism. And basically what he does is he breaks down all the world religions and he says there's really only two religions out there. Whether it's whether you believe there's two types of being out there, a creator and the creation, um, those created by the creator, or there's a oneism out there, which is we're all part of this great big consciousness. We can all sort of ascend to a higher plane of knowledge. We can all sort of, you know, fight our own battles. We can all, um, basically, we've all got the goodness inside of us and we can all really become, ascend to this utopia just within the power of ourselves. And he takes... He, I am condensing it down into a short little soundbite, but it's actually quite brilliant the way he breaks it all out. I kind of recommend it. There's a YouTube video out there, and it's also on audiobook. But really, sin is refusing to worship the Creator as God. Um, it, sin is, is rebelling against the Creator and trying to, as... Um, Hank said, get that thing that is God's and make it your own, whether it's that knowledge, whether it's that power, whether it's that authority, whatever it is. Um, and it's it's takes us back to the Psalms and the Proverbs, the ones that say, you know, the fool in his heart says there is no God. Um, these, these denial of God passages, Romans 3, there's none that are righteous. There's no one seeks for God. And I think what we see a lot in our society today is this sort of idea that people have that they're good or they're good enough. They're a good person. They pay their taxes. They're good. You know, they, you know, to just to bring up recent news events, we have people rioting. They're tearing down statues. Uh, they've figured out that 
Washington is a sinner and they forget to notice that they themselves are sinners. Maybe not in the way that George Washington was a sinner, maybe not specifically in that way, maybe in other ways, maybe in the exact same way and they just fail to see it within themselves. But there's this little bit of the rich young ruler. Um, If you remember the parable, I think it's in Mark. I think it's in another, probably in Luke as well. There's this story. It's not a parable. It's a story. It, uh, a young man walks up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, how can I um, receive eternal salvation? And Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing this and you'll correct me, uh, but Jesus, you know, one says, why do you call me good? No one's good but the Lord. And the rich young ruler just kind of moves right past that. And um, Jesus says, if you want eternal salvation, then obey all of the commandments and he lists them out and and they're basically you know don't commit adultery don't murder don't steal don't lie and the guy says well i followed that my entire life every single one of them which is ridiculous (laughs) um he but he failed to see that he didn't even follow those since he woke up that morning you know he he was he's been lying to himself or he he thinks he's good enough you know he's done a good as good a job as the guy standing next to him um so so i think that's what we see a lot in people when we talk about the gospel we talk about the gospel of salvation well people really just don't think they need saving because they're they're basically good people they they don't see the sin within themselves right psychology and and philosophy would teach you know you get you're born with that clean slate i mean even uh, some denominations some churches teach that you're you're born with that clean slate and it's society's impression on you um and and that those kind of things but scripture teaches the complete opposite right romans 3 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god and the all there is all and Mm -hmm. this this story of Adam in the garden is told not just so we can see an unfolding the redemptive historical unfolding how God works throughout history of, of mankind uh, to redeem a people what we see is he's interacting with his creature who at that point chooses to disobey to sin and uh, you know, the Westminster Confession, the Shorter Catechism, question 14 on what is sin, says sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. In other words, disobedience to the law of God. When we see the law of God, we often think of, well, the Ten Commandments. We think of thou shalt not. But really the law of God, I think, encompasses more than that. Those things do tell us who God is and what his expectations are. But the law of God is what he has as the creator establish the world to be and that means he's the creator and we're the creature and the creatures often try to usurp his authority his power and that's the sin um and these things manifest in these little disobedience uh the sins the li- the lies um the murders the whatever and even jesus jesus comes later right and says well you've heard it said thou shalt not murder but i say if you have you know, hate in your heart. Well, that's a that's a whole different ball game because, like the rich young ruler, I've not murdered, but now you're saying I still have sin in my heart because I'm hating my neighbor. Um, so, uh, sin is is very powerful. It's very important for us to understand, and I think we do have a society of people, and even in the church, that don't really understand the power. Um, nor they, do they understand that they too are sinners and in need of a savior.
And you've brought up the Westminster Confession of Faith a couple of times, and I just want to explain what that is if you're not familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it also has a, a catechism that accompanies it in the mid-1500s, a bunch of very learned theologians in England got together. They were part of the Church of England, and they basically took the whole of the scripture, the entirety of scripture, and, said, and broke it down into subjects. What does the scripture say on worship? What does the scripture say on baptism? What does the scripture say on sin? Things like that. So they kind of, and then, then, then they had the texts that they were referring to cited in each section. So it's actually a very valuable tool. It's not scripture. It doesn't take the place of scripture. It is based on scripture. And when you'll hear us refer to it, and that's what we're talking about is the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was mid-1500s. Actually, Diane, I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith was begun and established somewhere around 1647. Bob Kerr covered it the other night, um, Dr. Kerr, when he talked to us about um, the usefulness of the creeds and the confessions, and he said it is a secondary source, it's not scripture, but what it tries to do is summarize scripture. Um, you know, maybe a way to look at it is it's, it's good cliff notes, right? If, if you don't understand scripture, if you're wrestling with what the Bible actually says, this is a very good way of learning what um, some great a, a great committee a, a, a good group of men uh, who again don't all agree um, but do agree on central um, doctrines and principles and teachings and they basically just say hey this is what this means and this is how to interpret this this is this is a good way of summarizing what the Bible is teaching on those certain subjects so yeah I, I would encourage you if you've not done it, um, as you read through scripture to have this at the ready and to kind of look at those certain subjects. So like today we're talking about sin. We go right to, um, you know, we basically talked about questions one through 13 about the fall and, and what we have inherited through Adam and Eve. That can be, you can review that and, um, in the Westminster Confession, shorter catechism, but then we get to question 14 and the answer, what is sin? And that's where we are. And it does use the old language, so it's kind of hard. There are modern versions that might make it a little easier. But um, the bottom line is sin really is this transgression, uh, either a want or conformity. So a, a, a lack of obedience uh, or an intentional um, disobedience to the law of God. And again, the law of God is broader than just the Ten Commandments. Uh, it really is how God has established things. And the other thing to remember is, again, we are all sinners. And this is something I think that's very important for us to spend a little time on. Because if we don't grasp this, I think we miss the rest of the Bible. I don't think I think we stop at question 14. And we don't need to, need to go on and talk about Jesus or who he is or, or why he you know, showed up on earth and and all those other things. We really do as a people of God, and if you're listening, if you're, you're just curious, we, we need to figure out in our own heart and have a good understanding what sin is um, in our own life. And one of the ways to do that is really reflect upon who we are and how we, and, and then read scripture 
and see where we actually are, right? Because like the rich young ruler, as he's confronted with Christ, Scripture, uh, Jesus quotes Scripture to him, the law, uh, he's like, yeah, I've done all those things uh, forever, right? Yeah, I've checked all those boxes. Um, And this is, you know, being a, or let me put it this way, not sinning is not a check the box kind of thing, right? And I'm going to interrupt for a second because I I really struggle with that. I'm a list maker. I structure my day. Um, I like rows and columns. I like to know I was good today. You know, I set out to accomplish and did accomplish or didn't accomplish, you know, everything I wanted to do. I didn't did or did not get everything checked off the list. Um, I like knowing this is what I'm supposed to be doing today. And it was one of the hardest things to understand after my conversion um, that there is no I was a good Christian today box. And, and even if there were such a box, I could never check it. That was devastating. But it was understanding the process, uh, you know, the, that conversion, the, the process of sanctification, you know, and, and having to accept that there would never be a time where I would be considered good enough. I struggled with that a lot as a as a new believer, um, definitely that uh, weighed upon my heart. I was, why, I, I know that I, I know what sin is. I know that I'm a sinner. I know what God wants from me. Why am I still sinning like all day long? <laughs> so that that's a struggle. And that, that's something um, that we should address possibly in another podcast, um, the sanctification piece of it. The other thing, um, you, you talked about the Westminster Confession of Faith, and you talked about um, the law of God. So you, you said the word transgressions, which um, we, we talk about our sins as being against God. Um, we are often reminded of Psalm 51, which David wrote when he was confronted about sleeping with Bathsheba and killing her husband, whose name I forget, the the general on the front lines. Um, He basically sent her husband to the front lines um, to ensure that he got killed because he slept with his wife and then got his wife pregnant. And so instead of wanting to be found out about that, he made sure that uh, her husband was killed. Um, And when he was confronted by that, uh, about that by the prophet Nathan, David was, of course, convicted. Um, he wrote Psalm 51, and in, there's a line in that, against you and you alone I have sinned, um, is one of the lines in that psalm. And, you know, you're reading that, and you're like, uh, no, you didn't. You, you sinned against a lot of people. Um, but we, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's one of the commandments. And we love our na- our neighbor as ourselves because we are all God's creation and so we honor God by honoring his creation that's a that's a very sim- overly simplistic way of saying it but the laws are written by God there is a lawgiver we acknowledge there's a lawgiver and that lawgiver has given us laws that he expects us to follow um 
we know that some of those some aspects of those laws are have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ so the ceremonial aspect of the law you'll go into the Old Testament you'll read Leviticus it'll tell you hey if you do this you need to um, kill two doves or you need to uh, kill an unblemished lamb which of course when I was reading that for the first time and not even realizing that Jesus was the worthy lamb that was slain I remember reading that thinking well where are you going to get an unblemished lamb (laughs) well you're not Um, so the law of Moses which had this sort of sacrificial system uh, which has been canceled now um, because the worthy lamb has been slain um, that never cleansed anyone no one ever you know, lost their sin by doing that, um, it, it is something that could only be fulfilled by the perfect and worthy lamb. But there's a whole section in the Westminster Confession of Faith of why we don't follow that ceremonial law. Um, and maybe we can talk more about that in another section. Yeah, so just for Sunday school lesson here, Bathsheba's husband was Uriah that was killed Uriah. by David. Oh, that's right. There's uh, that, that 70s band, Uriah Heep. Oh, yeah? 30 Days in the Hole. Does anybody know that song? No, this is... Tell me oh, more. Oh, my gosh. What what year was this? This was... Um, so my husband says that the music I listen to, he calls the genre, he calls it stoner groove. <laughs> So, I don't know that that's real. I, I've never Stoner, heard that anywhere bro. else. Sounds about but right. Uriah Heep, 30, Uriah 30 Heap. Days in the Hole. It's uh, it's a good, it's a good song. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google <laughs> that here in just yeah. a second. Yeah. So. Uh, the seriousness of sin, I think, is what you're what you're getting at. Um, I, I think those Old Testament Levitical laws show us the importance. Not only do they point us to to our the end result, which is Christ, the unblemished Lamb, but they also show us the seriousness of sin. To have this whole litany of things that you had to do to make up for your disobedience. Um, that that you inherited just because you were born, right? And it's like, okay, this the system is kind of stinky. I, I don't really understand why I was born this way. And now I'm being punished for being this way. Um, you know what? What do I do with that? And so, you know, this reminds me of Romans seven, where Paul says, and he's writing to the the Roman Christians, verse fifteen: For I do not understand my own actions. So he's talking about sin. And he says, I don't understand my own actions. It's pretty telling, right? For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And whenever I hear these verses, I often think of Dr. Seuss. I'm not quite sure why. This It's very confusing, I think, until you kind of sit with it for a moment and, and unravel it. What Paul is basically saying here is, I don't even know why I do the things I do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, if I, I want to be obedient, but I can't because I'm a sinner. Uh, 
um, by birth. I'm, I've inherited this corrupt nature by Adam. And so now what? What do I do? Because I can't even control. And so it shows us, first of all, the seriousness and it shows us the power of sin. It's so powerful that even the things I don't want to do, I do. Mm-hmm. On record. Yeah, right. Paul was Paul was with it. And here he is saying even the, the things. And then he calls himself later the, the chief sinner, mm-hmm. right? I, I amongst the rest, I am the chief of sinners. You were talking about the the power of sin, and I I spoke earlier about in the Garden of Eden, the narrative of the fall and how one sin just sort of led to another. And we see things that allude to this sort of community or communal power of sin throughout Scripture. We hear in Isaiah, we chapter 5, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Um, We saw that as a movement in the society that uh, the prophet Isaiah lived in. People were, were saying that over there that that is good is actually bad. And we see a little bit of that in, in our society. We see um, there's also verses, Psalm 12 um, said, what is vile is honored among men. Um, we see things like that um, in, in culture. We, we see movies with graphic depictions of um, sexuality and violence being, you know, honored. Um, We see whole awards presentations for these kinds of things. Um, And I'm not saying that there's not an artwork piece to describing the depravity of our souls. Um, I'm just saying, I don't know that that's the aim of some of these, (laughs) some of these things. Another verse that talks about... um, the wicked strut vainly. I think that's also in Psalm 12, uh, the wicked strut around vainly. We, We see sort of in society, we see one sort of sin, um, being looked away and I I want to, I want to touch on one, but I don't want to get down another rabbit hole. Um, so for instance, I, I can't think of anything, but, um, oh, for instance, I've seen a lot of um, uh, music turn to more of a glorification of um, relationships outside of marriage. And you know, just from a purely sociological perspective, we know that people having relationships outside of marriage, the children being born out of wedlock, things like that, that destroys society. It also destroys the prospect for that family and for those children born into that family. Um, There's all kinds of sociological studies, but more importantly, it's against the law of God. Um, We see that being glorified and um, we see that being um, sort of a movement. We see these hashtag movements, you know, um, you know, single strong mother um, hashtag movements that sort of glorify um, this having a child out of wedlock and raising that child on your own because you're strong and you're single and you can do it all by yourself. And so we see this movement in society of these people strutting around vainly in their rebellion against God. And that is sort of that power of sin that just sort of turns churns and burns and creates more sin and creates others to sort of celebrate that sin and walk around just in the vanity of their own rebellion. Yeah, I mean, and and haven't, so haven't we gotten to this point because part of the reason is 
we've taken away um, the biblical understanding of the seriousness of sin. We've we've made these sins. We've normalized these sins. Mm-hmm. We've made them okay, right? Um, I really think we tend to gloss over sin and the seriousness of it. Uh, going back to those sacrifices. We no longer individually have to physically lay our hands on an animal, you know, personally having to kill it as payment for our sins. Trying to imagine it's my sin nailing Christ to the cross, as basic and ridiculous as that may seem. But realistically, that's as close as I get to having any sort of picture or any sort of real understanding of what it could possibly be like to take a life in order to receive forgiveness for my sins. That's something I think um, a lot of us fail to take the time to do without the requirement of having to go and physically sacrifice an animal. The Levitical system was, if you will. Yeah, and even in the in the church, because you know, as you know, if you've been listening to our sermons, you're we're going through the fruit of the spirit, Galatians five. There's this um, list of sins, if you will, things that are being practiced in verse nineteen and twenty. Uh, Paul gives this list of of things before he gets into the spirit, and so I have this habit of reading um, the verses before. And it's almost uncomfortable for me to read these because of the audience, right? And I'm thinking, well, my my nine-year-old daughter's in here. You know, she's not going to understand these terms. She's not going to understand these words. But I think part of that is because maybe I, too, am a little overly conscious of how impactful these things are. And what they actually mean. The list goes something like this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. And now here's where it starts to get uncomfortable. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, right? So I'm like, right, yeah, and this this is not an exhaustive list. But it's a terrifyingly comprehensive one to a degree. Yes, and the seriousness of each one of those things, which, as Diane was saying, we see in our society today, these things are not necessarily seen as sin. They're actually glorified in a lot of ways. They're actually lifted up. I mean, turn the television on for more than five minutes. You'll see a commercial. You'll see a show. um, And it it ends up being funny, right? Um, Hashtag shout your abortion. Yeah, see, that's, that's one that's I, I'm one not even the, familiar oh, with. Oh, that's another yeah. hashtag that's trending. Well, I'm thinking of the commercial where these ladies are all sitting around the lunch table and they're eating uh, and they start talking about um, very descriptive things and, and it makes you think sexually, like, you know, uh, and, and they're talking about how much they enjoy this and, you know, once a month they do this. And then it starts talking about, I do this when my boy, my boyfriend or husband's not in the room. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where's this going? And is my daughter in the room? And then it's talking about a book of the month club, right? Um, like that's the commercial. That's your but, mic drop America. Yeah. Bless. Yeah. And so that's, that's we have normalized sin yeah. to where, you know, the, the believer sits there and goes, okay, I'm uncomfortable because I think I know where this is going. 
Um, but that's what they use to sell the product, which the product has nothing to do with uh, the innuendos. And but this is also part of the game, the marketing in the sense of we're still here having this conversation. You know, it sticks with you. And that right. to me is like part of that snowball we were talking about earlier is just being inundated with these messages and these images whether or not that was the I mean obviously that was the intention but that wasn't obviously what they were talking about right but now here we are going down that path and you did exactly what they wanted exactly that was the whole point yep yes. yeah and the, so it shows us the seriousness yes. and the power of sin in the the life of an individual and I think we have again taken the seriousness away um, and it, you know we do this even as churchgoers, uh, even as believers, we justify our own sin, right? Well, if they, you know, you, you made me mad. That's a, that's one we hear all the time. You made me mad. You, you gave me this woman. Yeah, you, exactly. That's, that's like Adam in the garden, right? Uh, you made me mad. Well, you know, honestly, anger is something that comes from within. People do tempt you to be angry and they, they can provoke you to anger, but they don't, make you mad right that's right. your All the other choice factors. yeah so you know we we justify our sin if they would not have done x then i would not have done y um and the reality is we did y because we don't even know why we do what we do because we are sinners yes and you talked about that list of of sins and you know jesus had a long list of sins that he brought up in um, Matthew chapter 15. Some Pharisees came up to him and were trying to trip him up, saying your, some of your disciples didn't wash their hands before eating. Um, and, and to this, Jesus is sort of addressing that ceremonial law. And he's also referring back to what he said on the Sermon of the Mount, which basically if you did something in your heart, then you then you did it for real. And so he says, um, for out of the heart, he said, it's not what goes into the body that makes one bad. It's what comes out of the man's heart that that makes that that produces the sin. And then he goes on and says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. So there's that, you know, if you're thinking so-and-so is, you know, I, I can't stand so-and-so. I hate so-and-so. If you're thinking that, then it's a sin according to Jesus, and he, can, uh, he, he knows it. Um, so evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So he goes through that whole list of things to tell them that these are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. So he basically turns that whole ceremonial law that set that Hebrew nation, the the Israelites apart from the rest of the nations, he he turns that over on its face right there and saying that and and he brings in this idea that the thoughts that you have that come out of your heart make you unclean right right from the beginning. Yeah, and and again, this is the seriousness and the power of sin that we have within us. Uh, you know, this whole clean slate idea um, that if you know we're not as bad as we we think we are. Um, you know, we actually live pretty good lives. I mean, all those things are falsities that we tell ourselves. Um, and the reality is, we are sinners, and like Paul, we're we're the chief of the chief of sinners, right? 
um, in our in our own heart. And you know, this is the what I really like about um, the story that Jesus talks about. The uh, why are you worrying about the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own eye, right? So. We, we have a tendency to not only normalize sin and make it just okay, glorify it in some senses, the world does that, but we even have a tendency to be worried about everybody else's sin and not our own sin. And I think one of the things we need to do as believers is look at our own sin. Yes, and I think um, I'm going to use another illustration for what's in the world today. Um, I'm not going to go into great detail about it, but because this is a controversial topic, I'm going to prelude what I say with racism is a sin. God hates it, and he's going to judge it. Um, He will judge those who are guilty of racism. So that being said, we have a lot of you talking about the log and the, the speck. We have a lot of people who are uh, very engaged in um, fighting against racism in our society right now. And in doing so, they are doing things like tearing down statues of people who held slaves in the past, people like George Washington. George Washington was a man. He had feet of clay. He was a sinner, um, and he was... He, he had his faults. He had things that he did that were that were good for the country. He had also many, many bad things he did. But what I see people doing is they're clamoring together and and they've they've decided now that the sin that they are going to going to attack is racism. That's a sin. It's an important sin to fight against and for society to um, uh, reject. However, what people are doing are they're seeing the log in George Washington's eye or whatever statue they're tearing down. They're seeing that log in their eye and in that and um, I'm sorry, they're seeing the speck. the speck. Excuse me. Excuse me. They're seeing the speck in George Washington's eye and failing to see logs in their own eyes. And that's why I'm here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. So um, without falling all over myself well, trying to make my point. Not <laughs> only that, but we also trade one sin for another sin, right? So now in a we've justified one sin because there is a sin or an offense against me, right? So again, that's back to the retaliation eye for an eye and how can I use that to, to benefit me? Um, and you know, maybe we're guilty of that often as we, we trade one sin for the other. Well, they, they did me wrong or they did this, so so I get to now sin in this way. I get to now destroy property um, because why? Because there's a sin or an offense against me. And ultimately, the sins that are, the, what we need to understand about sin is what you talked about in Psalm 51, which it, it's an offense against God. This is not just an offense against one another it's an offense against god and ultimately that's what i like about keller sermon is he talks about this offense being one that is solely against god and it is it is not trusting in god and putting your faith in god to provide or to care or to do whatever right if only, right? That's a if if only there's something more or if only i could do this or if only whatever and we all know you know, we've seen it. Um, if only means there's 
that's not enough. And we get to that point if only there's something more. So um, the point here being that sin is not only serious, but it's powerful and it is against God. And that is the biggest concern. I think we have our sins are against a holy God. And unless he does something to fix that sinful um, reign, unless he breaks the bonds of sin, then we are still left as miserable sinners. And that is a horrible place to be. And I think what we see is people who are living in that sin trying to find their way out of that sin. Uh, it's that Tower of Babel. We're trying to climb to God. We're trying mm-hmm. to come over, overcome those sins. Uh, and sometimes we do that by not even recognizing that they are sins. And so so sin is very serious. It's an affront to God. It's transgression um, of God and God's law, the way that he's established things. And I, th- I think we need to take time and really reflect on not other people's sin, but our sin. And that goes back to the story of the rich young ruler, um, where the guy, to read Mark's account, runs up to Jesus, runs up to him. Oh, good teacher. Um, and one one thing as a segue, one thing I've, I've as, a, as an aside, I should say, not as a segue. This is not a segue. I'm you know they stopped making the segues, right? You know they, they went <laughs> out of business? I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I'm not <laughs> using one right now. Well, if you don't have one, you're, it's going to be hard to get one. <laughs> so as an aside, one thing that I've often recognized and one big hurdle um, for everybody basically in receiving the gospel is the gospel is good news. Well, in order to have good news, you you have to really have the bad news. You know, you always say, do you want the good news or the bad news? You know, you have to have the bad news, which is we're all sinners. Well, Jesus never got to the good news for that rich young ruler because he couldn't accept the bad news that he was a sinner. He completely could he would not accept it. He wouldn't admit to it. He said, I've kept every single commandment since the, you know, since I was a young man. So um, one of the things that makes the gospel, um, you know, everybody's like, well, it's good news. Why doesn't everybody just receive it and love it? Well, you have to accept some things about yourself and those things are that there actually is a log in your eye. That's right. You have to understand that you are a sinner before you can understand your need for a savior. And that's very, very important for us to take time and reflect on and think about. And so whether we think we are a sinner or not, um, the, the reality and the truth is we are sinners and we are in need of a savior. And we'll get to that more later as we look at these individual sins because I'm sure there are some out there who don't even know that their sin is a sin. Um, and we'll, we'll address those over the next few podcasts as we go forward. 